0: for that story. I don't think I ever heard that story before. And I don't think I ever met that man. What year did he die? Okay. Possibly before I lived here, maybe. Sure. Yeah. It's good to be here with you this morning. I'd like to Uh, spend a little time looking at the life of Daniel this morning. Uh, We have certainly been living in interesting times and uh, you know, I I don't know how it is for you, but for me sometimes I wonder, will we ever go back to what we thought was normal before? Uh, Is it possible that some months from now we'll look back and what in the world was going on back there? You know, Seems like a distant memory or will life be forever changed and, and we never go back to how things were? I read an article here uh, I think it was Life Ministries uh, saying that anything we face in life shapes and, us uh, and this situation in life is, is going to shape us Way or another, and it's helpful if we're soft play in God's hands and we can be shaped into what He wants us to be. Uh, children, what, uh, when you think of Daniel, what comes to your mind? Can somebody tell me what do you think of when you think of Daniel? Okay, Hannah? What? Okay, I'm not hearing you. Lion's thing, yeah. Yeah, Jacob? (laughs) Yeah, with these masks, I'm just sorry. Can someone tell me what he said? (laughs) Yeah, yeah, that's another very important part of Daniel. Elliot? Yeah. No. Hmm. Fire? Water. Water? Oh, yeah, they drank water instead of wine. Yeah, mm-hmm, yeah. Yeah, there's a lot of things in, in the book of Daniel, a lot of interesting stories. One thing that isn't in the book of Daniel is uh, much about Daniel's life before he uh, came to Babylon. I don't think there's any mention of his parents, uh, brothers and sisters, if he had any. Uh, scripture would indicate that he was probably from uh, a royal family. What does that mean, Bethany? Me. What does it mean? Are you from a royal family? I don't I don't I don't <laughs> Are you good? <laughs> All right, and help her out. Are you from a royal family? Okay, so what does it mean to be part of a royal family? Take it. Okay, a uh, part of what? A of the land. A section of land. Okay, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah, part of a, a kingly line or someone who's, who's in charge of, of a, a section of land. Mm-hmm. We know that when Nebuchadnezzar sends out his army, that's what he requested, that you bring back uh, young men that uh, are from noble families, from royal lines, that could be taught Chaldean language and customs and could help him run the country. Another thing we do know about Daniel's parents is the name they gave him, Daniel. Uh, does anybody know what that name means? What does the name Daniel mean? My judge is God, or God is my judge. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And and I think that's significant. Because that was a constant reminder to Daniel, even when he was far from home, that God is his judge, and that someday he will answer to God for his life. And I think that was just constantly there uh, as a reminder to him of that fact. What is something that uh, businesses today, uh, nonprofit organizations uh, emphasize that maybe even 20 years ago, certainly when I was a child, you never heard these two words together that I know of. What is something businesses, Non-profit organizations emphasize something nowadays. You hear it again and again. What is it? Anyone? Anyway. Okay. Coral. Coral, how? Core value. Okay. So, I have a little illustration here maybe that will help me. When I was a boy, we knew what a core was. What, what was a core? Naaman, when you were a boy, what was a core? A core. What is this? Okay, so what is a core? Yeah, when you eat an apple, you're, you're left with a core. Um, that's what a core was, and everybody knew what a core was. Um, value. I don't. I don't remember ever those two words being put together. So let's think of it this way: Here's an apple, and in the core it is a hundred-dollar bill. Okay. So there's core value. Um, so maybe that'll help you remember the message. Now. We want to talk about values this morning that Daniel had that were much more important than $100 bills. There's things much more valuable in life than $100 bills. And when, when we have core values, uh, thank you. When we have core values, the value is at the center. Uh, I would define it this way, a deeply instilled belief that guides guides our behavior regardless of circumstances. A deeply held belief that guides our behavior regardless of circumstances. This is outstanding in, in Daniel's life, and so we want to talk about Daniel, and then we'll come back to core values a bit towards the end of the message. Let's uh, turn to Daniel, uh, chapter 1, and these stories are familiar, and I'm, I'll try to keep this message from being too long, and so we won't read all of every story, but we'll, we'll skip around here and there a bit. So chapter 1, uh, starting at verse 3, the king instructed asking the master of Israel, to bring some of the children of Israel, and some of the king's descendants, and some of the nobles. Young men, in whom there was no blindness, but good-looking, gifted in all wisdom, possessing knowledge, and quick to understand, who had ability to serve in the king's palace, in whom they might teach the language and the literature of the Chaldeans. And the king appointed for them a daily provision of the king's delicacies and of the wine which he drank and three years of training for them so that at the end of that time they might serve before the king. Now from among those of the sons of Judah were Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. I was skipping down to... Uh, Verse 8. But Daniel purposed in his heart that he would not defile himself with the portion of the king's delicacies, nor of the wine which he drank. Therefore he requested of the chief of the eunuchs that he might not defile himself. Now God had brought Daniel into favor and goodwill of the chief of the eunuchs. And the chief of the eunuchs said to Daniel, I fear my lord the king, who has appointed your food and drink. For why could he see your faces looking worse than the young men who are your age? Then you would endanger my head before the king. So Daniel said to the steward, now here he's going to another man. The picture I get here is that there was someone over all these boys that were taken captive. And then... The boys were divided into smaller groups with other people over these smaller groups. So Daniel uh, first goes to the one in charge of everything and makes his case, and he didn't get too far there, so he goes to the one over their small group, and starting in verse 11. So Daniel said to the steward, whom the chief of the Enoch had set with Daniel, and I the please, text the servants for ten days, and let them give us vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then let our parents sit down before you, and the parents of young men to eat the portion of the king's delicacies, and, and as you see it, so deal with your servants. And you be it to them in this matter, and tested them ten days. And at the end of ten days, their few chiefs appeared better and far in flesh than all the men who ate the portion of the king's delicacies. Thus the steward took away from their portion of, del- of delicacies and the wine that they were to drink, and gave them vegetables. And as for these four young men, God gave them knowledge and skill in all literature and wisdom And Daniel had understanding of all visions and dreams. And now at the end of the days, when the king said that they should be brought in, the chief of the Unarchs brought them in before Nebuchadnezzar. And the king interviewed them, and among them all, none was found like Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. Therefore, they served before the king." And in all matters of wisdom and understanding about which to king them, he found them ten times better than all the magicians and astrologers who were in all his realm. Thus Daniel continued until the first year of King's life. Now, I don't know what all was going on here, but it would appear like Daniel had learned as a child God's laws for eating healthy. God had given the children little specific laws on uh, how to prepare food, especially meat, and uh, so forth, and most likely these animals uh, were strangled or not properly bled or offered to idols or whatever before they, they uh, made their way to the table. And Daniel had never done that before, and his parents had taught him that that is not what to do. And so he was he was not going to do that. But he didn't just sit in his heels and, and say no. He went about it very diplomatically, and he had a plan in mind. And he he uh, said, "Well, let's try it for ten days." And uh, him and his sons certainly won the test, or we could say God won the test of the the ten days with vegetables, and we can see that God blessed them. And it would appear like both kinds of food for those ten days, both kinds of food were put in front of them, and they could choose. Of course, they chose the vegetables and the water, and then in verse sixteen it says that so after they won that test, that they removed the other children and just gave them. So there's a lesson here we want to learn. Commitment to God involves faithfulness in little things, because big things are coming. And that's how it is for all of us. Uh, as little children, we have little tests, and as time goes on, there's bigger tests coming. And if we're faithful in the little things then the chances are much greater that we will be faithful in the big things. As we go to chapter two, Nebuchadnezzar has a dream, and I don't think we'll read that chapter, but I, that chapter is uh, the story of the, the image where it had a head of gold and silver and bronze and on down to the feet which ran iron and clay and then this rock. Uh, not cut out of man's hands, arms, and knocks the over. And this was a very troubling uh, dream that Nebuchadnezzar had. And it appears to me, and I, I can't be 100% sure, but it appears to me like Nebuchadnezzar was so troubled by this dream, and he wanted to be so sure that it got interpreted properly that he decided, you know, if my wise man can tell me the dream and the interpretation, then I know that they know what they're talking about. If I tell them the dream, they can make up anything. But if I don't tell them the dream, and they have to tell me the dream and the interpretation, then I know that they know what they're talking about. Now, I can't be 100% sure about that, but it just refers to to an actual secret. And a secret is something I know that Naaman doesn't know, or he knows that I don't know. That's a secret. Somebody knows, but others don't. If nobody knows, then you don't usually refer to that as a secret. I may be wrong, but that's how I see this passage. And then uh, what happens is that they decide uh, to kill all these wise men because they couldn't do it. They well, you tell us the game, we'll interpret it. So I said, no, I'm not telling you. And when they came to Daniel, Daniel said, well, I'm not so hasty here. Uh, take me into the king and I'll, you know, I'll plead uh, my place. And he says, give me time. And so he goes back to his friends, and they pray, and and God reveals the dream and the interpretation. And he he says here, he says, uh, the dream is certain and the interpretation is sure. So Daniel had full confidence that God revealed to him not only the dream, but the interpretation. And Nebuchadnezzar was very impressed. Now, I think this set up the story in chapter three, where we have this big image that is solid gold. And I think uh, Nebuchadnezzar decided, you know, I don't really like an image that starts out with gold at the head, but then goes down to clay and iron at the feet. That's just not a very good statue. It's not very stable. I'm gonna make one that's all gold, And I'm going to have all the people of my kingdom come and uh, worship this image and then maybe my kingdom will be forever. Um, Which was not what Daniel had told him would happen. So he does this and he, uh, he makes this image and he gets all his people together. And when the music plays, they're supposed to bow down and worship. Of course, the Shadrach, Meshach, and didn't. Now, one of the questions that so always comes to mind is, where in the world was Daniel? Uh, and I don't know really the answer to that. Uh, I can surmise. One of my surmises is that the king maybe knew. The king maybe knew Daniel would never bow down, and so we had him off to something else because he liked Daniel. I don't know what, where Daniel was, but it doesn't appear like Daniel's in this story. But we can be confident had he been there, he would not have. He would have done what like Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego did, and, and bowed down. And not bowed and refused to bow down to him. He would have only. Worship uh, John. How many of you have been burnt? Like, more than just a single Anyone had a fairly serious burn? Yeah, I had that one time, and it is extremely painful. I was burnt up to my, had a short sleeve shirt on, I was burnt up to my short sleeves and, and my face and side of my neck. Fortunately, that was one of the few times in life I had my mouth shut, and uh, I didn't get burned in there. So the first thing the doctor asked me, <laughs> did you have your mouth open? I said, no. And uh, so <laughs> I was saved what could have happened there. But it burns are extremely painful. And uh, they poured water on, and instantly the pain was gone for, like, seconds. Until <laughs> so they was time to pour more water on. Uh, but it was very painful I can't imagine being thrown into the uh, hot furnace uh, the pain would, would have been tremendous and these were smart young men, they knew that but they weren't about to uh, bow down 10 minutes because God told them not to do that Nebuchadnezzar is an interesting man. Uh, How did he know? How did he know what the Son of God looked like? (laughs) He looked in the fire and he says, we put three men in there, but I see four, and the fourth one looks like the Son of God. Have you seen the Son of God before? How did he know? That always amazed me about this story. How did he know that that fourth man looked like the Son of God? Something impressed him that he thought that that looked like the Son of God. Now, he, can, he seems to be a man of extreme here. You know, he's not about to let these young Hebrew men defy his authority. He's saying, you know, you, you're not going to do this to me. You refuse. You're going in there. I'll give you a second chance. But that's it. If you don't bow down, you're going in that fiery furnace, and and he does, he throws them in, and then just in a matter of a very short period of time, he acknowledges that their devotion to God has changed the king's word, which is something he declared minutes ago, you're not going to do to me, I said you bow down and you go in the furnace and you're not changing my word. And he acknowledges that a little later that you have changed the king's word. These young men respected God more than they feared to the king in the fire. And then he promotes these men in his kingdom, and then he goes to the extent of threatening anyone that says anything negative about their God. He realized that these men were not just men of integrity. There was a God behind these men. There's no other explanation that they can walk around in a fire furnace. The, the ropes that found them burn off, but nothing else burns. no hair, no clothing, there's no smell of fire, there's absolutely no damage except the ropes. And he knew that only God could do that. So here again, we have this lesson. Commitment to God involves faithfulness and little things. Because big things are coming. What's the bigger? Cheating to eat the way God told you to eat? or to be thrown into a fiery furnace. The one seems much bigger to me than the other. And I think had they been unfaithful with the food tests, they probably would have been more likely to give when it came to the fiery furnace. Chapter four uh, is the story about Nebuchadnezzar. There's very little in there about Daniel other than Dream again that Daniel interpreted and uh, that's the story of Nebuchadnezzar becoming an animal for seven years and totally changing Nebuchadnezzar again from being a defiant uh, king to a meek man who is worshipping God and uh, has totally Understood that God is in charge and not maybe nothing. Chapter 5 is the handwriting on the wall, which is another familiar story that we know, and we'll go on to chapter 6 and finish with chapter 6. Chapter 6 is a story about Daniel's commitment to prayer. Now, we don't read anything in the first five chapters that I'm aware of that Daniel was a man of prayer other than he went to God for in prayer for uh, the ability to interpret these dreams that uh, Nebuchadnezzar was having. But there's no mention of him praying three times a day and so forth. Uh, By this time, Daniel was most likely a fairly orderly man. He had survived a number of regime changes and and kingdoms overflowing, but but Daniel would, when the new kingdom would take over, Daniel was again restored to a very prominent position. It seems to maybe vary a little, but but he was was a constant figure in the kingdom. Uh, Daniel, When he realized that a trap was set, he was probably fully aware of of the jealousy of his place in the kingdom. And these men set a trap for him. They were going to have him thrown in the fiery furnace because he praised someone other than the king. So he goes. Once he knows time. he goes home. To the window and prays three times a day like he had done before. Uh, where did this start? Where do you think this habit of praying three times a day started? Did it start a year before this? Or when do you think this started? The scripture doesn't tell us. We don't know. I started at home with his mom and dad long before he went to bed. It's my guess that this praying three times a day was something he doesn't remember when it started. That's just something that was always done. All he ever knew ever since he was a tiny little boy that you pray to God three times a day. I think he took that with him when he came to Babylon. And when the food test came, he prayed three times a day about that. And on through his life there in Babylon, praying three times a day was just something he had always done. And I'm guessing he did it till the day he died. It seems never like a small thing. But it was what kept Daniel. Commitment to God involves faithfulness in little things, because big things are coming. How many of you have ever heard a lion roar, like a real roar? Okay. I remember when I was a boy, maybe about eighth our family would go to the Philadelphia Zoo. You ever been there, me? Philadelphia Zoo. We would go there. Uh, fairly often. Uh, not more than once a year, but we would go quite often. And at a certain time late afternoon, they would feed the lines. And these lines were in a fairly uh, small area. It was a concrete building, concrete floor, walls. Of course, you know, heavy bars. They were caged well. But at that time, for their uh, meat. They would start roaring. And and uh, you could feel the whole building shake. And they would just roar. And, and it, was, it was pretty impressive. And then finally, they would come with these slabs of meat and throw them in there. And they would pounce on the meat and start tearing it apart. And so a little boy it was pretty impressive. I've never forgotten. Uh, how much lions can roar. And to be drawn in that pen would have been a pretty scary thought. Uh, would still be a pretty scary thought to me today. Uh, these men that took the king up for this, uh, I don't know. Can't prove that they were the same wise men that Daniel said. You know, back a few chapters when all the wise men were going to be killed because they couldn't interpret the, queen, the king's dream, uh, Daniel going to God and interpreting the king, king's dream probably saved at least some of their lives. Well, that seems like a distant memory, and now Jealousy has overtaken them, and they want Daniel thrown into the lion's den. So Daniel uh, is thrown into the lion's den. The king works all day to try to find some way to go back on his word, but he can't. And he's reminded that he can't. And so finally, when it seems like when the day was just about spent, he finally caves and and puts Daniel in the lion's den. Stays up, stays awake all night. Early in the morning he goes out and calls to Daniel. He must have had at least a little faith that Daniel would answer. He goes out and he calls to Daniel. And, uh, and Daniel answers. He I'm here. God sent his angel and shook the lion's mouth so that they have not hurt me. Because I was found innocent before him. Also, O king, I have done no wrong before you. Daniel had a, a clear conscience. And God saved him from the lions. So now back to core values. Uh, this is something that's extremely uh, center, center in, in Daniel's life. I think it's probably a true statement that everybody has core values. Uh, They may not be godly values, they may not be right values. I think we all have deeply distilled beliefs that uh, guide our behavior. I think these protests that we've been seeing across our nation, those people have core values. They may not be godly, but they have core values that are are guiding their behavior. So it's important that we have core values that align with God's values. And uh, I think the culture, the culture in our homes, the culture in our church, the culture around us Uh, infills those those values in in our our lives. Uh, One person said it this way, a company's core values are better discovered by observation than by reading their stated core values. For example, a tobacco company that says they care about people's well-being, but then produce a product that destroys people's health. So as you observe their core value, are they really caring about people's well-being? Or is there a bottom line of making money, at the expense of people's health? Uh, that can be said for, for any company. Uh, integrity, is honesty a core value? Well you you observe that business practices and you can then discover is that a core value or is it just a stated value and their core value is making money. Now I'm not I'm not knocking stated core value. The saying is very true that you aim at nothing, you seldom miss. And I think that is so true. If you have no goal in mind, reaching a goal is seldom happens. And so, so having stated uh, core values is very important. Okay, in conclusion, what can we learn from Daniel? But well, like I've said before this morning, commitment to God involves faithfulness in little things. Because little things matter, and the big things come on um, in life. And as humans, we don't necessarily buy things the way God does. We may say something's a little thing, and doesn't really matter. God makes you, it's a big thing. Secondly, to talk to our children, grow up in establishing their core values. will likely be with them through life. Parents, if your young children would be taken out of your home today, what core values would they have that would guide them through life? We don't know. We never know how long we have these children in our home. We know Roughly 20 years at that oh. I tell young fathers, you have a thousand Saturdays. And every one is one less. You basically have a thousand Saturdays with the job. Every one is one less. And some you run out of Saturdays. For us men that work out of the home, Saturdays can be a crucial thing. If those Saturdays are not spent carefully. We squander them, and soon they're all gone. And we have them no more. Our children are gone. I, I had a lot of failures as a father. Uh, that was one place I think I... I succeeded to some degree, at least with my boys, I do know could speak for the girls, but the boys would often ask me toward the end of the week, Daddy, what are we gonna do Saturday? Because Saturday was the day we did things. It, not necessarily fun things always, but we'd do projects together. We'd build fence. We would work with the team. We would sometimes go fishing. We would, we would tour trails. We would do projects, mostly around home, But uh, we did things together and I could tell they looked forward. They looked forward to those Saturdays. So fathers, uh, mothers, uh, pay attention to your time with your children because it is extremely limited. Uh, Even if you have the 20 years, it it goes by awfully fast. That's hard to believe when they're when they're little. I know. But it is. It goes on awfully fast. Establishing values, habits, and that will guide our children in a godly path. Right there is one of the main goals that we should have as parents. To make ourselves unnecessary in that child's life so that when we are no longer there they have they have those core values that will guide them to God and the path we have for them so parents remember you're working yourself out of a job you're infilling those values in them so that they have them and you don't Have to be around forever because you're not going to be. Daniel teaches us that fervent prayer is essential to being who God wants us to be. Daniel was a man of prayer, and we do well to be people of prayer, to teach our children to be people of prayer. And fourthly, God is my judge. Ultimately, we stand. Before God, that can be a frightening thought because God is holy and just. It can be a very comforting thought because God is merciful and loving. We are told in, in Matthew chapter twelve, verse twenty, that a bruised knee shall He not break, a smoking flesh shall He not quench, till He sends forth judgment unto victory. And I I can't. Uh, before, I'm interpreting that person correctly, but I, I take it from there that, that Jesus is dental and he's not going to snuff out of uh, this something that isn't all it could be. A bruised weed is not what it once was. A smoking flax is just smoking. It's not a full-blown torch. But he's not going to quench it. So, um, I'm open to other interpretations of that scripture, but it, to me, it shows that God of mercy and love, to live for his approval, will never, will never disappoint us. it didn't disappoint Daniel and his three friends, and it will never disappoint us. So, let's be faithful in the little things.